The team behind Bonk is probably like one of the most stealth startups in Solana's ecosystem that's wrapped up in a culture coin, right? Like these guys ship and the, the stats prove it. On, on Christmas day, the Bonk Telegram bot did more transactions per second than ETHL1. Secondly, the Bonk's protocol revenue is higher than Magic Eden. I don't think a lot of people realize this. This episode is brought to you by Access Protocol. Access Protocol is the best way to get access to premium crypto content without the ads, without the annoying subscriptions that are impossible to cancel. It's crypto native. It's here today. Go check them out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, we're joined by the Michael Saylor of Bonk, known as Joe McCann and Ansem, the two best traders in crypto. What's up, guys? <laughs> What's good, bro? What's good? How we doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's been a good time uh, to be in the Solana ecosystem the last few months. We've had you both on before. And so when, you, when we had you on, I think the price was about $20 in Seoul, and you said you went full bull mode. So I think you called that one right. And uh, Joe, I know you've also been deep in the ecosystem. Uh, for this episode, I think it'd be fun to do 2024 predictions. I want to talk about the different ecosystems, apps, etc. But before we get into 2024, can we reflect a little bit on 2023? Like, what would you... What's the highlight of this year to you? Or like, what do you think of this year that's maybe changed your mind looking forward into 2024? And Joe, maybe let's start with you. Yeah, sure. I mean, so for me, it's it's really this past quarter. And a lot of it has to do with the kind of, um, you know, Girardian scapegoat slash sacrifice of, of the hellion Sam Bankman-Fried at the same time that the price of Solana actually exceeded the FTX implosion, as well as Solana Breakpoint 2022's, you know, kind of uh, high around like 39 bucks or something. Like to me, there just felt like this sort of vindication because of all the work that builders, the creators, the core team of Solana, the foundation, um, you know, the broader Solana community just felt, it just felt like something had fundamentally changed. Like, yes, I mean, Solana a year ago was trading eight bucks. And it ripped 25 in the first couple of months of 2023. And then, you know, we had the kind of sideways chop. But Q4, I mean, around the breakpoint conference for me, which is such a major turning point. And, uh, and we're seeing, I think, a lot of the, the fruits of the labor from the work that the Solana Core team has done, uh, as well as folks like, you know, Merd's company and a number of, of other infrastructure providers that exist in the ecosystem. It's just, it's, it's really primed, I think, the Solana ecosystem for you know, a continued uh, path for growth in 2024. And for people that are listening, if you don't know, Seoul last December was $13. It's about $100 today. This is going to go out January 2nd. Ansem, you were pushing Solana hard. You saw these opportunities. You saw the developers, the community, et cetera, about a year ago. Um, yeah, how do you feel, man? I mean, a bit vindicated probably, but 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 also you have a lot to live up to in 2024. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's been cool to see. Like, I always expected Solana to rebound hard. Um, I really was not sure on the timing of it. That was the hardest part for me. I was like, I know bear markets can draw like draw out longer than we expect sometimes, but I know eventually, um, just with the caliber of the teams on Solana, how mispriced it was relative to the FTX explosion and like all the attention developers community still active in the ecosystem. I knew it was going to rebound eventually and rebound hard. Um, I just didn't know it was going to happen as fast. <laughs> so like the Q4. We were trading around like 20 and it was right when um, I think the FTX estate gave their soul to Galaxy, I think, to basically sell it or, or whatever, deal with it. 
Um, and a ton of people were like short going to that. They're like, there's millions of sell pressure coming onto the market. Um, we know Solana's going to go lower. It's probably going to go back to 10. And that was like the consensus bet early Q4. Um, but they ended up not market, like just market selling. Like they just held it and just waited for a better price. And there were a lot of people short that got caught off guard. Um, so it's, it's like one of those situations where it was actually priced in, like what the, what the market priced in the event before it actually happened, before the selling happened. And I think they've been kind of selling on the on the way up. But yeah, it's been cool to see the DeFi teams do really well. That's the biggest part for me because in the Solana ecosystem in its early days, there weren't a lot of good DeFi teams. There were like a couple, but mostly the sole tokens and sole DeFi teams were not great. And they had a, retail had a bad experience with them. Um, and I think moving forward, if you have an experience on Solana where it, the applications are competitive with their ETH counterparts and other L1 counterparts, and the experience is it's 100x cheaper, um, much faster, and the UX is arguably better than it is on these other applications, it's like then you can see um, Solana more one-to-one -one with these other bigger um, smart contract ecosystems. So that's, that's, that's been big for me. It's caught me off guard how fast it happened, but. I knew it was going to happen eventually. I was pretty pretty confident on it. That's why I was like banging the drum on it all year. I knew it was going to happen eventually. Um, I think like the consensus that the all L1 trade was dead, which was like early this year. It's like Solana is dead. All the all L1 is trade. Ethereum and the L2 is one. That's not the case anymore. So now it's kind of like opened the door for people to have a more open mind. I think going into 2024, it's like nobody's really won any of this yet. We're still super, super early. Um in crypto just generally i think people are more aware of that now so i'm, I'm excited for what's going to happen next year yeah <clears throat> i'm curious how you think about 2024 for solana you know probably a week and a half ago everyone on twitter was saying ethereum's dead or the majority of people were ETH's <laughs> dead ethereum's dead right and then within yeah. i think yesterday then people are like l2s are back eth is back when it was <laughs> of like five percent right um yeah. and, and one thing i've been asked a few times is it was really easy to get exposure like if you thought of solana you bought soul and that because there weren't many tokens that existed then Gito launched it had an airdrop to over ten thousand wallets and i think it was 200 million dollars in value and that token got above four dollars it's about like 230 mm -hmm. today is there gonna be like a saturation of attention though because in one way you want all of these token airdrops like it's good for the ecosystem it's good for attention but at the same time is that bad for soul because you as a investor you now have so many options to invest in um i don't think it's necessarily bad i think it's but it's dependent on the growth of the entire ecosystem so like solana got repriced what 7x or 6x 6 7x higher so there's room for these other DeFi apps to also have like multi-billion dollar market caps now whereas before when solana was only like 20 billion it's like there's not much room there for those other applications to have these higher market caps. I don't think it's really an issue. Um, I think if you expect Solana to keep growing the same way that Ethereum or has, then you're also going to see those like uh, applications break out. They're doing really well. I don't think it's it's really going to be a problem. Tushar at, at Multicoin uh, had this really brilliant insight a few years ago about, you know, typically a new bull market kicks off when there's a new distribution mechanism for tokens to get in the hands of users. And I really strongly believe that. Um, airdrops are not new. The iteration of airdrops has to do with points. Um, it's still, you know, more or less like <laughs> a futures contract against your airdrop, so to speak. Um, but one of the most fascinating things I think that's happened recently with um, uh, airdrops specifically to Solana is what happened with the, the Saga phone. You know, all of a sudden, yeah. uh, I think a lot of people 
I was not one of them. <laughs> I've, I've always been very bullish the 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 Solana phone for for myriad reasons. Um, <clears throat> but when you know Bonk started to rip, and people found out that there was this airdrop on it, where you're basically arbing the cost of the phone relative to the airdrop. You know, uh, you get the phone effectively for free, if not make a little bit of money. Well, now yeah. other protocols and projects are now recognizing that these phone holders are kind of you know diehard users of Solana. And by having a physical device to receive the airdrop on, like, again, airdrops are not a new way of distributing tokens, but there's a new kind of go-to-market, if you will, for projects and protocols to say, hey, if you're a Saga holder and you have the Soulbound token on that device, we're going to gift you with this special airdrop to try out our protocol, et cetera, et cetera. And we saw the success of this with Access, I think, a week, week and a half ago. So, you know, that that is just... I mean, I certainly did not have that on my bingo card, right? Like the phone being uh, a mechanism for um, accelerating the <clears throat> kind of uh, utility and adoption of Solana-based projects and protocols. But, you know, here we are. One thing I'm curious about is something unique here is you guys are actually both builders as well. I mean, you, you, you're both on software engineering, but you're also traders. And... Something that caught my attention in the past week and a half, let's say, is how fast the short-term sentiment changes, right? Like if, if there's a 5% decrease, people are like, okay, it's over. Uh, and and, and um, as a builder, you're like, wait a minute, what the hell? Like nothing, nothing really has changed here. Um, and uh, so, so you guys obviously both have experience on, on both ends of this. How should people, maybe specifically builders new to the space, think about these very volatile mood swings? Um, how do you guys think about them? I, I think it's I, I think it's probably one of the hardest positions to be in to be a builder in crypto, just because of how much noise you hear. Not only from so you have the noise from the outside, which is like the trad five people. Every time crypto prices are in a bear market, it's like crypto's dead. This energy's worth nothing. It's all Ponzi. It's like blah blah blah. You hear that nonstop for months on end, and then it's like even in the echo chamber of CT and crypto Twitter. You have some of those people saying the same things and then price goes up and they're like, oh, no, this is the greatest thing ever. This is the worst thing ever. It's just like very the pendulum swings extremely hard. I feel like in crypto, it's like a very emotional, emotionally driven market. Um, I wish I had advice for those people. I think in my head, it's like you really should stay off of CT as much as possible if you have strong conviction in what you're building um and like have i don't know delegate some of that who's handling that to somebody else on your team because like i know if i was a software engineer or was still a software engineer working on building out something and every time i go on the internet it's people <laughs> tell shitting on whatever i'm building nonstop. that shit would be triggering for me um i think honestly that's the best way to think about it it's like if you have conviction in crypto you know it's going to be around long term it's like you shouldn't really be concerned as much as what the traders are saying um yeah you do have to think about building products that like people would use also the dgens as well as people outside of crypto you have to think it that way but like we a trade traders are almost purely focused on price like if we don't really i'm not gonna say we i, I kind of am uh, in between because i also do some fa stuff but traders for the most part are like if price isn't trending they're not they don't really care about what's going on behind the scenes so you can't really take their opinions that strongly when they're talking about the tech of all these um all these chains because it's just not it's usually not going to be a good opinion yeah i'll just add to that a little bit i mean uh um 
I'm certainly the elder on this group. So <laughs> back in my day, some startups, um, you know, like the, the, the startup, the startup, like startup ecosystem or, or you know, community, if you will, for, for forever was basically like, you know, you raise a, a seed round and try to build a prototype or something to that effect. Right. And, and the money you raise uh, is private. They're private shares held with these investors, your VCs, your angels, et cetera. And that isn't trading on a market, right? There's no sentiment around your startup per se, right? Now you start to get to the size of like Stripe and people are selling secondary shares at a $90, $100 billion valuation. Yeah, like you're going to start to see some sentiment around that particular business. What crypto has changed though, and, and I actually feel kind of bad for founders that end up launching uh, projects that have tokens. Um, uh, I, mean, I don't feel super bad for them, but like the, 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 the one aspect that's challenging is that for the first time ever really, uh, and man, I know Anatoly and Raj had to deal with this painfully over the past you know, 20 months or so, um, the success of your project is directly associated with the price of the asset associated with your project or protocol. And that's driven by, you know, I mean, it's driven by price, but then the sentiment stems from that. And so um, it sucks because as a builder, you're like, well, I, we raised some money and we have like three years of runway and like, it doesn't matter what's happening up or down sideways. It doesn't matter. Um, but most startups have never had that problem. And now you have an economic kind of financial instrument tied to the success of your project. So a lot of the, the, the startups that I advise or invest in, I'll tell them, I'll be like, when you launch your token, get ready to, to just be, you know, your, your, your mood swings are going to be even more extreme because you're going to feel the weight of a, a dropping price and you're going to feel the euphoria of a rising price. And, and, you know, I think to Ansem's point, like staying off of the internet and crypto Twitter specifically as a builder is probably good for you. I mean, Mert, please don't get off of Twitter. We need uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but, Thanks. Uh, and then I think the, the last thing I'll mention is, is, you know, I've been trading for about 23 years now and, the the best trading I do is in volatile markets. Um, crypto is by far the most volatile. And it takes uh, serious intestinal fortitude to stomach drawdowns and and to know when to, to take profits, um, etc. And I think you just develop a heuristic over time of seeing these things over and over and over again, where you're like, yeah, I should probably trim some profits here. People are like going apeshit or people are grave dancing at a level that is just unprecedented. You should be getting along, right? Like it's really, really counterintuitive and hard for people to do that, but that's how fortunes are made when you're a trader. You know, talking about um, maybe the, the the mood swings of the market. Um, yesterday, Jason from, from All In was like asking about Solana use cases. And, you know, I typed out this detailed response and then like within an hour, there was like a Ponzi called Banana or something. And it's just like, raise more seed funding than my company <laughs> in like an hour <laughs> and I was like holy shit we're it's over um but handsome you, you then tweeted um or, or I guess you tweeted this before but you said uh so this is Solana's first Ponzi it should be uh interesting to see how like they handle it what did you uh what, what did you mean by that so it's like there's kind of like a degen score that I kind of attribute to what's going on in markets like BSC in 2021 was the most degenerate shit I, I think I've ever seen just in crypto. Like 
it literally was was hundreds of millions of dollars going into DeFi protocols like that, where it was like either super high APRs um, that literally was would directly tell you it was off of the deposits of people before or like super inflationary token rewards um like the the i think well, was was safe moon on bsc i think safe moon was on bsc safe moon was like the the protocol that was like it would tax buyers and and tax sellers and like the 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 fees were distributed back to token holders there's just like a lot of degenerate um gambling like purely gambling speculation type of things that happen in crypto bull markets when we get to these like it's like when retail is super risk on because people gamble all the time. If you look at the if you look at the numbers and like statistics on gambling, just generally the past few years has been sh- like straight up, um, not just not, not specifically crypto, but like sports betting, like lottery, like all that stuff is up. Um, and even though crypto has fundamental value and you're going to see applications that really drive that home, um, stuff like Helium, stuff like HiveMapper, um, like cool applications like Drip House, which pure, aren't, aren't speculation driven at all. On the other side, you're still going to have these people who are purely trying to flip a thousand into two thousand or a thousand to ten thousand or whatever. And they're like, if I think I can make money off this, I don't care if it's worth nothing. I'm still going to throw my money at it. Um, <clears throat> and like that is uh, kind of indicative of how active retail is 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 in the market. So that's what that's what I meant. It's like how active, how back is retail yet, really? Because in BSC season, we had a ton of protocols like that where people knew that they were not useless, but they still got like hundreds of millions of TVL. So um, that's kind of what I was saying. It's like how degen are we? Um, that that typically also happens when we're near the tail end of rallies. So <laughs> that's also a good indicator. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I meant. Like. How how degen are we? How how active is retail in the market? Joe, talking about fundamentals, you're the Michael Saylor of Bonk. So I'm curious, can you explain maybe your Bonk thesis? Are you still bullish? Some numbers I'd like to put out there. Bonk's around one billion FDV today. Shiba on Ethereum, Shiba Inu is about ten billion. I'm just curious how you think those two would interact over the next year because Solana is in some way the consumer chain and that it's extremely fast, extremely cheap, extremely easy to access, but its meme coin is only still one tenth of Shiba. Where do you see that maybe heading in the future? And do you think that meme coin trading and that mania we have right now will continue to stick on Solana? Or is it just going to go to L2s and chase it throughout different ecosystems? Yeah, good question. I mean, so my, my thesis really hasn't changed. Um, yeah, I mean, we've done well on the price, uh, for sure, uh, even with the pullback. Um, but, you know, from my perspective, the, and I wrote about this in my piece uh, earlier this month um, for the asymmetric market update, like, Bonk is not like your average meme coin, right? You know, Dogecoin was a literal joke, right? There was just nothing about it except that it was a joke. And it went to $85 billion in the peak of 21, right? Like that's just, which is insane to think, but this taps into the, the, the broader kind of thesis that I have around internet culture and how to actually attach a financial instrument to that, which is, you know, a meme coin or a culture coin. So then enter Shiba Inu, the second iteration of, of a, a you know a proper meme coin, and they were the Dogecoin killer, right? And so all the ETH you know DeFi folks and and folks that participated in DeFi Summer um, got behind this. They had the crazy story where they sent uh, you know fifty percent of the supply to to Vitalik, and he burned you know most of it, like ninety five percent of it, and sent some of it to a COVID relief fund in India. Uh, and so you know, and this was also like 
post COVID, right? Like money printing, everybody's rich and the thing went, you know, whatever, 42, 48 billion, whatever the, the max was on that one. I don't remember the exact number. But the third iteration now with Bonk, again, the thesis for me really hasn't changed. Like there's actually, there's like an actual feel good story behind this thing, right? Like, you know, yeah. a year ago, the airdrop happened. It's you know, helped all these developers and creator creators, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now it saved the saga phone, like I mentioned earlier, right? Like they sold out because of this airdrop of Bonk that was on it. Um, but I think more importantly, people don't really understand that the team behind Bonk is probably like one of the most stealth startups in Solana's ecosystem that's wrapped up in a culture coin, right? Like these guys ship and the, the stats prove it. On, on Christmas Day, this is not a joke, uh, the Bonk Telegram bot did more transactions per second than ETH's L1, right? Now you can say, oh, that's not fair to compare it, this and that. I'm like, I think it is fair. Uh, <laughs> secondly, um, you know, Bonk's protocol revenue is higher than Magic Eden. I don't think a lot of people realize this. They're like, they're making real money. And uh, Magic Eden's a billion dollar startup, right? Uh, and so this, again, this is not taking anything away from Magic Eden, a great product, cross-chain NFT marketplace, right? But meme coins don't do this, right? And so I think like, even if you just think about meme coins as, as almost like versions of software, right? You had Dogecoin 1.0, Shiba Ina 2.0, Pepe was like two and a half and the, 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 the team rugged and they're scammers, right? And then you have like the 3.0 version, which is Bonk. And Bonk has this kind of, you know, really amazing story behind it, incredible branding, real products. And it's really hard for me to, to see that, you know, if, if, if I'm right, uh, and I think if we're all right on more flows coming to Solana, more users coming to Solana, more activity on Solana, it's really hard to see a scenario where Bonk doesn't at least trade on par with something like Shiba Inu, if not higher given the the utility and frankly like the the kind of almost business metrics associated with the project yeah i think so the, the trade for me earlier was like pretty simple um bob just the history behind it when it launched it kind of launched when the ecosystem was at it lo at its lowest and it's supported by a ton of like as um as joe said some of the strongest people in in the ecosystem um so like when people bridge the solana when you bridge to any L1, I did this trade a ton of times last cycle. It's like you bridge to an L1, either you buy the DEX, you buy the meme coin, or you buy whatever else. Like you buy whatever alts are available on chain um, after you buy the L1 token. On Solana, there was literally no teams <laughs> that had tokens that were representative of the biggest protocols on Solana. So really, Bonk was the only thing that people could buy if they wanted to get beta to Solana. And that was like one of the most obvious um, setups that I saw back in um, when the Solana first started popping off. I was like, yeah, it's going to rip hard just because people also pattern matched to what happened last cycle. And crypto pattern matching is super, super strong. Like Doge went to, I think, 80 billion or something ridiculous. Shiba went to like 40 billion. Um, so people are like, oh, Bonk is the Doge of, of Solana. It's easy for people to, to do that in their head. Um, but honestly, I don't even think Bonk is really a meme coin. I think I don't know if you guys know Hugo, but Hugo's uh, one of the CT people. He kind of described it in a way I think makes sense. He said there's mascots for a chain and then there's meme coins. And I think what he meant by that is like mascots for a chain are more so organized in a way that they have a team behind them and they're actually contributing value to the ecosystem and building out actual products. I think Bach is more of like the mascot for Solana. It's definitely a community coin and the culture representative of the culture on Solana. 
Um, but as Joe said, they actually make money. Like that that bonk bot is doing like 40 mil annualized rev right now. Um, if you take the fees that they're um taking off the trading fees and they're also buying bonk with some of those fees. So I think that that's valid. And they also have other products in the ecosystem that they're still building out. But then you have other things which are purely memes, have absolutely no value at all, not no value accrual, just literally a picture or whatever. Um, and I think it's weird to kind of attribute fundamental value to them, but because of how online people are now, like literally the internet, that internet culture, um, there's been no, no way like prior to now to assign value to stuff like that. Um, but the virality of these things has a tangible value to it. And it's kind of like, it's weird to, weird to explain, but it's actually a thing like these, these memes that are so present all over the place. They have value to them. And like if everybody in the world is throwing a dollar at this, that's that's how Doge went so high. It wasn't like there were people throwing millions. I mean, there were some degenerates throwing millions. But for the most part, it was like a ton of people just I'll buy $10 of Doge. I'll buy $20 of Doge. I'll buy $30 of Doge. They don't own they didn't own stocks or own like real assets, but they were like, I'll buy some Dogecoin. Um and I just think like that that's usually under under um under indexed on like if something gets that widespread that it has like millions of people <laughs> buying it, um, that can have a, a direct impact on price. And it's those are still sitting at like $13 billion or something crazy. And there's, it literally does nothing. Like it's, it's nothing. It's in, and it's still in the top 20 for crypto, um, like crypto market cap. So I think that's pretty crazy, but that's why I, I like, I tell people obviously don't all in your memes, but throwing a tiny bit of your portfolio at them usually is not that bad of a bet it could go to zero most of them do go to zero um but for the ones if you're right like if you can find whichever is representative of the culture of l one or like goes viral you can make a lot um on a small percentage of your port and yeah that's how i think about it yeah i want to underscore some of the key points that Ansem just said that i completely agree with which is like you know viral content on the internet has has been around for you know call it roughly i don't know 15 18 years something like that and like youtube had a lot to do with this um kicking this stuff off but like you couldn't i mean in, unless you were like the 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 viral the, the content of the viral video and maybe you had some ads or something like maybe you made some money on it right like but like there was really no way to invest in the virality of the internet and you know, I, I was on a podcast yesterday talking about this. Like, there's there's no like MBA finance class that's going to teach you how to invest fundamentally into internet culture and virality because it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, and I think that's one of like the most powerful reasons to, to Ansem's point about having some exposure to it in your portfolio because you know, if you see a viral video and you see it take off and you're like, oh my god, this thing's got like a hundred million views in like three days or something, like. Now imagine you attach a price to that, right? Like imagine you were involved with that virality, and you know, again, as a trader, you have uh, you have exposure to that, and you want to take profits at the right time, and and you know, obviously not blow up your account by shoving all in. Like, I think that's a totally reasonable thing. Talking to people that are in tradfi, they think I'm absolutely insane, right? <laughs> I think my performance suggests otherwise. <laughs> yeah those are all very interesting points um but <laughs> but uh 
it's just how the world works now. Uh, I, I do like the idea of being able to uh, invest in memes. That's that's certainly going to be interesting. And um, I, I also second that the Bonk team is very, very, very competent as well, right? They're not just uh, your your usual uh, uh, meme coin backers. They are very smart people. Quick break to tell you about Access Protocol, the easiest and best way to stay up to date on what's happening in crypto by following your favorite publishers. And you can do all of it without a subscription, without having to worry about ads. And we all know subscriptions. How many do you have? 10, 20? Can you cancel it? It's all a mess. Well, Access Protocol solves this and they do it in a crypto native way. They have over 60 publishers that include CoinGecko, The Block, Crypto Slate, and a whole long list of independent creators. So how it works is you find your favorite publishers and you stake the ACS token, that's the access token. And once you stake, you have access to all that creator's content without the hassle of ads or subscriptions that you can't cancel and you don't know how many you have. Access Protocol already has over 225,000 users that are finding new creators, that are reading content, and even receiving NFTs from these creators. Because one of the cool things with Access Protocol is that these publishers, they can know who their subscribers are. They can make it where, okay, maybe we'll do an in-person event or maybe we'll do an nft drop and we'll do it only to our most loyal stakers aka readers in early 2024 they're even releasing v2 it's crypto native it's on solana and it's an awesome product but a link in the show notes to the hub uh it's the easiest way to get started so go check them out today quick break to tell you about an upcoming event i promise you don't want to miss it's blockworks biggest and best institutional conference called das london it's a two-day event happening in london this march we're going to have over 700 institutions 130 speakers and a couple thousand of us all under one roof crypto is in a position for the first time to actually onboard these institutions and they're showing up. We have companies from BlackRock to Visa launching real products in the space. We have the real world asset narrative taking off. We have things like payments that have been exponentially growing. And then we have things like DeepEnd happening in the Solana ecosystem. There's a ton of capital right now in this institutional space. It's going to be coming on chain. It's going to completely change the industry. Whether you are an institution or you're a retail user or you just want to learn more about what's going on in the space, this conference is for you. You're going to be able to meet some of the best and smartest people in the space. The speaker lineup is absolutely incredible and you'll get to hang out with me. But the best part is you actually get 20% off your ticket if you use Lightspeed 20 when checking out. That's Lightspeed 20. I put a link in the show notes. Um, I recommend buying this today because one, you'll forget about it. Two, these ticket prices go up every single month. So anyways, I hope to see you there. Now let's get back to the show. Okay. I do want to change topics to something because I'm a selfish person. I do want to understand how traders and, and people with, with uh, price action in their mind think about this. Um, there's a lot of as a newcomer to the to the to the crypto ecosystem, right? I mean, if you're a builder, it's not too hard. Like you you have L2s or maybe you build on Solana. That's pretty much it. You don't actually have a choice. As a as a as an investor, though, there's a lot of stuff, right? There's there's like alt DA layers, there's ETH, there's Bitcoin, there's Solana, there's L2s, there's L3s, there might be L4s. Um, and it's just it's just getting uh very interesting now. So I'm I'm curious, how do you guys think about the next year in terms of bets you want to take, which bets are interesting for you, uh, and just general commentary on, on, on that. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll start. So, um, uh, I've been around for a handful of these cycles now and, and typically what you see is, um, the newest tokens that get launched tend to do the best on a relative basis. This does not mean that Bitcoin and Ethereum won't do well. It just means that typically they don't do as well, right? And there is, to your point, where like a, a cornucopia of investment opportunities across uh, various L1 ecosystems. And um, so, like, if we take Ethereum, for example, um, even though, you know, I've obviously been 
you know, fundamentally bearish on L2s. I am fundamentally bullish <laughs> on the price action that's going to be associated with these things, right? And um, I think a lot of these L2s that launch tokens are going to do extremely well um, for this like upcoming cycle, called at least this upcoming year. And a lot of that has to do with the sentiment, that at least from like a lot of the institutional uh, kind of investors and traders that I talk to, they're kind of frustrated with what's happened with the price of ETH, right? Like they park this money in 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 a staking contract or earning like I don't know four and a half five percent something to that to that effect in ETH denominated terms, which is great. But like ETH's kind of like you know more or less underperformed every other L1 um, you know out there. And what are they doing? Well, they're chasing like the next thing. So if you look at something like Celestia and its token launch, like this thing is just completely obliterated price action. It's it traded from like two to fifteen within six weeks or something, right? That's that's an example of like real flows coming in, gobbling this thing up because they end up wanting to have the you know the the kind of beta to ETH because they're you know somewhat frustrated or they have this core position in ETH. I think the same thing could be you know. Uh, for something on Solana, right? Like it's not to say that Solana won't do well. I actually think, uh, you know, Solana dramatically outperforms Ethereum uh, on a price basis uh, for probably all the reasons um, you guys already know uh, for the for the coming year. Um, but tokens around the Solana ecosystem that will launch, and there's a number of, of projects that will be launching tokens in Q1. Uh, a number of portfolio companies and, and companies of Invasion, Angel invested in, et cetera, are all launching tokens. The question is, is like, where's the, the incremental dollar and in flow coming from? And so this gets kind of to like my macro thesis where we do a bunch of the, the macro stuff at Asymmetric. And our view has really been since, you know, probably about three-ish months ago that Fed is done, rates have topped. Um, you know, even if rates stay high or they slightly come down in the second half of the year, the market is risk on and global liquidity is basically bottom. The shadow monetary system is flooding the markets with with additional capital. And, um, I, you know, that's going to flow to crypto. Uh, so, you know, that's probably where the incremental dollar comes from. Um it is also an election year, so the markets tend to get goosed during elections years. Like you put all this stuff together, and you look at like the areas that you could invest in. Sure, parallelized EVMs, DPIN, uh, all the L2 stuff, the modular narrative, um, loads of stuff on Solana, video games, etc. There's tons, and so I think the the, the mistake I think uh, some people will make is they'll try to do all of it. And I think you get, you know, a view on, a, you know, a couple of things and you really focus on those and you'll do extremely well, I think, in this upcoming year. The way I'm currently thinking about the market, um, my core thesis has been like Solana has been undervalued relative to Ethereum. So that's like my main trade driving this cycle. I think that Ethereum's pivot from doing everything on, on ETH mainnet, settlement execution, like all DA, all that stuff, pivoting to purely being a settlement layer um, and DA layer for rollups, I think that some of the value in the ETH ecosystem is going to um, be attributed to these rollups and even these other DA layers that are competing there. So uh, for the moderate thesis, I think, ETH is going to have to compete with teams like Celestia. Um, they're going to have to compete with teams like, like Nier and Eigenlayer, teams like Polygon Avail on the DA side of things, because if it's cheaper for rollups to post their data for DA there um, on these other 
these other chains and then just settle to Ethereum, I think a lot of rollups are going to do that. So then it's like, are people going to bid Celestia or are they going to bid ETH if more people are moving away from using ETH for DA and instead want to use Celestia? I don't really know what that looks like. I'm unclear on, I guess, how the market reprices everything um, in that modular landscape for Ethereum, which is why I said I don't really know how the price action is going to look. Um, but from my point of view, if you have something like Solana, where you can do everything on Solana mainnet and you have DeFi applications that are just as competitive um, and like of the same caliber as they are on ETH, then I think Solana should be a lot more than just, I don't know what it is now, like one-tenth or one-seventh or whatever um, of ETH's market cap. I think they should be just be a lot closer in value. So I think that gap is going to close because Solana doesn't need these L2s to do everything that ETH and its L2s are doing. It's just one, um, one layer one. And I think that the, like the, the difference in market cap is really a time thing, um, more so than it's a tech thing. And I think the, when you have new retail users come into the market, I think you're going to have to be honest about which chain they're going to use and which chain they're going to want to use these applications on. Um, and I think there can be a strong argument made that a lot of these new retail people are going to be using Solana rather than ETH or, or whatever else, um, or an equivalent amount. I just think they should be closer in value. So that's like the main main trade for me. I think the modular thesis still makes sense, um, but I want to figure out which plays I think are undervalued or, or being underlooked um, now that aren't being talked about as much. Like Celestia was one for me. I, I was talking about it back like in late 2021. <laughs> um, I was saying, you guys are talking about this modular thesis. If you're going to do that, why would you not optimize and build the most effective, most efficient part of each of this stack on its own? Like build the most like efficient execution layer, build the most efficient DA layer, build the most efficient settlement layer um, from the ground up instead of having to pivot what ETH currently is now with all the tech tech that exists. I think ETH is definitely going to be the most secure option. So it's going to get TradFi flows regardless. Um, and the way that the developers move, they don't want to break anything. And they have like a really, really strong developer team um, in Ethereum. So I, I think it'll be fine, but it's just like, I don't think it's the core trade for me. So the modular plays, I'm looking for stuff that the market is not really talking about, like, or not looking at as much. Like I think rollups that aren't purely EVM focused, um, all VM rollups are going to do really well um, if they can um bootstrap developer ecosystems um early because for rollups i think you're going to have to compete with stuff like Solana and these other newer l1s for performance you can't have the issues where you're going to have fees spiking the same way that they do on um east evm on these rollups if you want to compete in that way so i think these alt vm rollups are interesting um and then just rollups in the cosmos ecosystem generally uh, that's where i'm looking for the mind like modular thesis um what else I think Monad is interesting because if they're able to compete with Solana on speed and cheap, uh, like and the cheapness, um, they're also EVM compatible. So it's like you have a huge amount of developers who know how to develop on the EVM. Um, if they can build things on Monad, but not be restricted by throughput, um, then I think they could do really well. So that's interesting. Um, and then the other three sectors are like AI, VPN, gaming. Um, for me, my core like three has been Solana, Coinbase, and then Parallel because I think I cover like a, a pretty wide range um, of things. Coinbase, I think, is going to be really strong 
with the spot ETFs coming through and just like all the SEC stuff, once that clears away, they're far and away the largest exchange in the U.S. So I think people um, want to get exposure to crypto. Coinbase is going to get bid super hard. Um, I think that you've seen that early this year. And then parallel is like my gaming play. But for AI and DPAN, I don't really know yet. So that's what I'm looking for on like the application layer side of things. Yeah, I know some of our uh, research guys have been talking about Near lately. They already kind of had a history tied to AI. And then now that AI is a narrative, they're really leaning into that. And they're also leaning into the DA layer side of it. So I don't know if either of you, uh, I don't know, do either of you invest in Near or are you checking it out right now? Uh, I had some Near longs. I don't have like, I don't have Near spot, but I had some Near longs. I, I know that the, I think the CEO, he helped co-write like one of the, one of those early AI papers. Yeah, or something. Ilya, I think his name is. Yeah, Ilya, yeah. Yeah, Ilya, Ilya's smart, no, no doubt. Um, I I don't agree with the scaling solution for Nier's, uh, you know, L1. But beyond that, it's pretty beat up on price. It should probably do well-ish in the upcoming cycle, especially as the thing you identified is the narrative. You know, like uh, I was in a Telegram chat the other day and uh, there was a discussion around like, parallelized evms and you know why this one's better than that one and i'm like guys like, yeah. <laughs> it's narratives over anything over fundamentals and so you know like if near for example attaches itself to an ai narrative and it works guess what like that will likely drive the price and i so i think like this is like the i think the distinction that i try to make between the kind of fundamental startup style investing that we do on like our vc fund versus like the trading aspect, right? Like there are trades that I will put on that are purely technical driven or purely narrative driven, right? Like I, I won't yep. even necessarily have to know what the underlying technology is, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think that like, you know, crypto is, is to a fault narrative driven. And so we're kind of rebranding uh, an L1 as like an AI chain or whatever it is that you're doing um, is huge because people want to buy into that. And uh, will it work? I don't know. But um, it's better than probably, you know, remaining as uh, the, the last cycles, one of the other alt L1s. Talking about these alt L1s, I've seen you tweet about Say quite a bit. There's Apto, Sui, Monad, you know, it's parallel execution, isolated fee markets, more or less these next-gen chains with these. You could have Move, a new programming language. I'm curious how you think about it. And because sometimes when you see trends, you kind of, and I'm not the trader here, so I want to hear from you, but it's like a pol polarity. If you see people lean into one narrative too hard, there's probably going to be something of the opposite that pops up. And by that, like everyone's leaning into Solana's global state, composability and speed. Do you see, though, like there's these other next gen L1s that are these global states, which is great, but it almost feels like there's going to be a narrative coming out about this like app specific, you know, framework and blockchains, because you're even seeing it in Solana right now. They're having this debate on how they're going to handle the fee market. And part of it is how sovereign can we make this fee market for individual apps? Because if these DeFi transactions start having a higher ROI than payments, then payments are going to get knocked out to another app chain. So I'm just curious how you think about that from a new L1 perspective. That's like one global state versus these app chains like Cosmos. Yeah, I mean, so so say is um, this is probably like the quintessence of of how we do things at Asymmetric. So say was a, a private investment that we did on the venture side. We we saw their kind of pre seed round. It was a deck, seemed like a a, a smart team, but it was a bit too expensive for us uh, based on a deck, right? And I was like, look, I'm happy to pay up on valuation if you guys can come back and like deliver on what you said, and they did. 
uh, and then some. Like they built everything and and more uh, in a very short amount of time. And they were also going to launch a token. Um, and I was like, this is I, I'm in because of the app chain narrative specific to trading, right? And and you know, trading is a is kind of a fundamental thesis for us at, at Asymmetric. We're traders, we're technologists. This kind of thing makes sense. So we did that deal. Obviously, it's done uh, relatively well, but of course, those tokens are locked, right? So we can't do anything really with the tokens except, you know, watch the price go up and down and it doesn't really matter. But on the hedge fund side, we can't, right? And so this is where the crossover happens. So for example, when Say was trading like 13, 14, 15 cents, uh, I was kind of perusing their GitHub repos and I had realized that they had landed a, a, a branch in there uh, that they were about to merge in that was around a parallelized EVM a client. And I was like, wait a second, like, this is, this is like narrative fodder, right? Like this is, this has to be, you know, <laughs> that's going to cause it to rip, right? And so what we did was instead of just going and buying the spot token, I went to some of the dealers and I put on, you know, 25 by 40 cent call spreads and then just naked 40 cent calls uh, for end of February and the call spreads were end, end of Jan and they cost me basically nothing, right? Well, Lo and behold, you know, all those things are well in the money now. Um, but it had to do with the fact that, like, because we understood the fundamental kind of technical, technological side of say, and we have the ability to kind of like read source code and parse GitHub um, repos and, and the activity on these things, we can then express a trade on the hedge fund side so that we can kind of benefit from both. I don't know how many investors are saying they're going through GitHub and notice this like push and they're going to have a paralyzed EVM. I would so probably say almost zero. <laughs> almost zero. Ansem, how do you feel about all this? Like, what are you checking out right now outside of let's like, let's push Solana aside. What are you looking at right now? Yeah. So I, I, I have been thinking about that too. Like my modular exposure versus my integrated L1 exposure. Um, for me, what I've kind of landed on right now um like solana is my integrated l1 that's my exposure to that i think that's going to gain against eth and then on the modular side i've been looking at dimension um they're not live yet i think they're going mainnet relatively soon um but dimension is a modular settlement layer in the cosmos ecosystem and they're focused on driving um like role apps like application specific rollups but the difference between rollups in the ETH ecosystem and under Dimension is these rollups should be enshrined um, underneath their settlement layer. They can use Celestia for DA or some other chain for DA, but they plan to use IBC as a framework um, for enabling fraud proofs with all these rollups and also the communication between um, Dimension and other rollups on the chain. So their whole thing is you don't you can bootstrap whatever application you want as a rollup or roll app on dimension um the difference between having to like secure your own validator set as a cosmos app chain that can be a lot of work for new developers um and a lot of developers who don't really have the um capabilities to do that unless you raise a lot of money whereas if you want to build you know, whatever application just use the dimensions roll app sdk build out whatever you want and you can use dimension as a settlement layer um and also be connected to all the other Roll apps under their um, ecosystem in the cosmos. So that's like where I've landed now. Um, I'm curious to see how it trades because they're closely tied to Celestia and Celestia did really well when they launched. So I'm kind of thinking that that trade should be similar. Um, and it's also one of those ones where it's like under the radar um, and people haven't talked about it a ton yet. But I think when they go live, uh, I think more people will be, will be looking in that direction because there's really, there's not a ton of competition as the settlement layer for rollups really um other than eth like 
that hasn't really been discussed a whole lot yet. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Slot on one side and dimension on the other side. We'll see if if that plays out. But but yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Weird. All right. I, I have a few topics I want to run through with the 15 minutes we have left. One, we've just been talking about DA layers quite a bit. So I'm curious how you think about that from a technical or value accrual perspective, because to me, in some ways, it's these things are commodities in the sense that how easy is it to replace Celestia? If Celestia, for example, gets expensive in the future where they have to put in fee markets, like, is it a brand that's actually going to be a, be a moat? Or is it simply you just create another pipe or you put data and there you go, you have another one? Because in some ways, Celestia is just a DCF calculation. It's like, how many fees are you getting? That's the value of Celestia. So I'm curious how you think about DA layers. Yeah, I mean, from my, my perspective, I just zoom way out to like, I would say basic product engineering and and how software actually works in these types of service-oriented architectures. And how expensive is it to switch? Like, what are the switching costs of a piece of software or a particular technology, right? Um, There's myriad examples of this. I mean, Apple is probably the king of this, where switching from, you know, all Apple-related products and services is, is just difficult, right? It's very, very challenging to do something like that. Um, So the stickiness of something is how I would evaluate kind of any component, if you will, of an architecture. And so whether it's Celestia or something else, like what makes Celestia sticky? What makes the switching costs expensive? And to your point, like the DCF model or figuring out a way to to use a, a traditional model for valuing it, like I don't even necessarily go down that route because I look at it from kind of like the developer's perspective of saying like, well, you know, if if the switching cost is effectively zero, maybe it's like a couple of days of dev work or a couple of weeks or whatever, so it's not necessarily zero, but it's it's de minimis. Well, then like it's a commodity, right? So, well, what's a commodity? Well, typically commodities asymptotically trade to zero. So, you know, like it's pretty simple from my view as to what anything in regards to DA actually looks like from a value accrual or the value of it. This gets back to the trade though, right? If the narrative is there's a new DA layer that's about to launch a token and look at what Celestia did, well, guess what's going to happen, right? It doesn't even almost matter the switching cost, the stickiness of the actual, you know, component of that service-oriented architecture. Yeah, I, this this is a question I've been I've been thinking through and I don't have an answer to it yet. I've been asking my more like technical <laughs> blockchain dev people um, like what they think on it. Um, I've heard from a few people, I don't want to, I don't want to try to give my direct opinion on it, but I've heard from a few people that, um, opinion, yeah, that DA can be commoditized and that the settlement layer could be the, the stickier play for like what drives value long-term. Um, but honestly, yeah, I, I don't know. I think w- the way I've been thinking about it is like, if DA is kind of equal, if it's equal cost to post on Celestia versus something else versus something else then developers who want to build rollups or roll apps, they're going to go to the ecosystem that makes it easiest for them to deploy and also have interop with other rollups in those ecosystems. So it's more so not just the cost of posting your data, but also like, are the SDKs easy to use? What advantages do I get by collabing with you versus other um, other ecosystems? Um, like how efficient is it? Like how effective is it for me to work with you um instead of somebody else so kind of like a bd play as well as like a tech like the architecture play but not just the purely the cost um but yeah i don't know I, I, and that's why the the eth trade is so confusing for me because i'm like 
they they previously were everything. You did everything on ETH mainnet. Now they're DA and settlement, and they and other people may use other DA layers instead of ETH. Like I just have no idea what that looks like and how the the value is gonna accrue down the stack. I really don't know. Um, which is why I said for the modular players, I want to look for ones that are kind of under discussed and people aren't talking about yet because I think those will get repriced. In while we're having these discussions of like, oh, how do we price these things? Whereas the biggest ones, it's like, are they leaking value? Like if if more people move the rollups, how much more transaction like transaction activity do you need on these rollups to have the equivalent burn on ETH? It's just it's confusing for me um, how to think about it. So that's like where I'm where I'm at. When pricing these things, you you mentioned Ansem, you, you got to look at the developers and the SDKs and stuff. Uh, and so you actually maybe have to understand the technicals a little bit, which which I, I recognize might might be hard for uh, some of CT. Um, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I, I do want to. Um, so let's let's do some hot takes, okay? Um, so twenty twenty three is over, basically. Twenty twenty four is coming up. What are you guys' hottest predictions for the next year in crypto? Joe, you want to go first? Hottest predictions for 2024. Um, I'm going to say the ETH cross is is going to create massive pain for ETH holders. I think I think Soul <laughs> probably dramatically outperforms ETH again in 2024. I mean, that shouldn't be a surprise coming from me, but man, there's just too many tailwinds. There's too many narratives. That are that are pushing it, and and also, you know, from a lot of the like, I had a guy uh, quite literally last night um, runs a macro at a massive tradfi hedge fund, and he's like, I just he's like, or he hit me up a week ago. He's like, I'm massively underexposed soul, and then last night he's like, I just bought my first big slug, and I'm gonna be buying more on on any legs down. He's not alone, right now. In, in addition to that, the VC community is dramatically underinvested, right? guess who's going to bid these things up right so it's 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 hard for me to to see the soul eth cross like trade sideways for 2024 i think i think uh you know soul eth that cross is just dramatically in favor of solana for 2024 i think my most interesting one is that i think there's going to be more rollups deployed in the cosmos ecosystem this next year than there are in the eth ecosystem um, and I think that's going to be a combination of sovereign rollups deploying on Celestia. Um, I know the sovereign labs team is working on that and then like rollups through dimension and Celestia. I think there's going to be more rollups, um, and more activity there in the modular ecosystem or modular, modular thesis, that architecture framework in Cosmos and there is ETH. So that's why my, one of my big ones. Um, second one is that I think there's going to be two chains doing more daily active dex volume than eth mainnet whether that's one of the biggest rollups on eth or another l1 or two other l1s i think eth is going to be third um by end of the year in that metric pretty consistently for like a sustained period of time um and then my third one i think there's going to be like a breakout um game in crypto like one that has consistent activity month over month not just crypto users but also web 2 users um to the point where it's like comparative with some of the other biggest games that people stream um so that's like my 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 top three yeah. the video game thing i think that i think that's right like i think vance was saying vance from framework was saying uh, a couple of weeks ago in a podcast that there's like 50 games that are going to launch next year 
because they take like two to three years to build like a you know a tier one game. So I I, I think uh, I would agree. I think there's going to be a breakout game next year. What do you think about Ethereum DeFi in 2024? Are any of those projects worth watching? Or is it just done on the L1 and and on that specifically? Talk about Uniswap. Uniswap had the biggest brand, the biggest product on the ETHL1. They've launched a wallet. They have the front end with the fee. Is that even interesting anymore? Or is it just all, none of that matters now that it's L2s and all these different chains? I mean, you know, I, I have nothing but respect for the Uniswap team because they keep iterating, they keep shipping, they keep improving. Um, I just think that, yeah, like if you start using um, <clears throat> any of the DEXs that, you know, support Arbitrum or optimi- uh, Optimism or uh, any of the other L2s, like these are actually really, they're good experiences, right? There's, there's, there's exchanges out there like Hyperliquid that, I mean, it's great. Like it's a really, really good experience. Uh, and you get a central limit order book. And so this, like the swapping concept kind of, kind of goes away. And like the, the, the notion of swapping and getting shitty fills and, you know, a huge spread, um, first of all, it would never work in like real institutional trad file. Like this would never do it. Um, but I think more importantly, like it's a vestige of like bag holders from ETH that they, they like, you know, I, I, I meet. I, I'm sure you guys do too. You get introduced to people that are like, I'm launching this new token on Ethereum. And I'm like, why? Like, what? Like, oh, well, you know, we're going to do this thing with the tax and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but it, it's like a, it just feels like this archaic way of, of swapping tokens or, or getting access to tokens. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me anymore. So I think that, you know, the, the, the folks at Uniswap, I mean, I would never bet against that team, candidly. Um, but, uh, the, the current implementation of Uniswap, I think um, that market share will deteriorate over time because of L2s as well as um, things like Solana. I think ETH is not going anywhere. Um, I mean, ETH is still by far the most secure of all the chains. So I think all the money there, the TVL there on ETH is super, super, super sticky. Um, I think for like lending and borrowing and those things, because they're like, they feel like their money is safe. If you're a millionaire, multimillionaire in crypto, which a lot of the, those ETH guys are, you have like 10 mil plus and you're storing it on chain. I don't think a lot of them are going to like really want to move all of that. Like obviously they're going to degen with smaller parts of their portfolio, but ETH DeFi, I don't think is going anywhere. What's interesting for me is like all of these EVM applications, they typically deploy very easily to these other EVM rollups. Um, but then they still run into issues with throughput because of how a lot of them are designed. So one of the reasons I'm bullish on Monad um, is if they're able to solve that issue where it's like you have the speed and cheapness of Solana, but you're also EVM compatible, I think you're going to see a lot of the um, Ethereum DeFi teams just deploy there. Um, so it's like, why would you not just deploy on whatever EVM, like all the best EVMs, if it's not really that much of a lift? Because I saw Tastani tweet something the other day or he had like said that they'd never really thought about moving to Solana before, but they considered using Neon because Neon is like the EVM compatible, whatever um, thing on Solana. And he was like, well, we're considering deploying there. So if they're thinking about that, I know it's like whatever EVM um, chain comes out that it's easy for them to deploy to. I think they're just going to move. I think you're going to see that happen with a lot of the ETH um, DeFi teams. Yep, that that makes sense. Okay. I do want to close it out um, by asking my favorite question to traders. 
which is what are you most bearish on? What what, what are you going to short? Or maybe not what are you going to short, but what are you most, most bearish on for the next year? Y'all asked me this last time. <laughs> I still have the same answer. <laughs> I'll let Joe go first. <laughs> uh, well, um, you know, we have a rule at Asymmetric where we don't short tail risks. We buy them. So we don't really short anything uh, from a naked perspective, uh, especially in crypto, unless you, you know, want to end your career prematurely. Um, you know, like I mentioned, the Soul ETH cross, I won't, I won't go down that path again. But um, I think if you look at like the basket of tokens, particularly in DeFi from the last cycle, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily short them. But I think on a relative value perspective, like the newer stuff's just going to do so much better. So like if you were to do an RV trade where you say, and I'm just, it's just, just speculating here, like say you were long Arbitrum, short Ave or something, right? Like that relative value trade probably does really well if you wanted to do an RV trade, but you could probably do better just buying Arbitrum, right? And not even putting on the second leg of the, of the cross. So um, I think that, you know, hey, I've been wrong before. Maybe, maybe there's a resurgence behind a lot of these DeFi governance tokens from the the, the first kind of uh, DeFi boom. But I just don't see it. I just see more people chasing new tokens that are going to have more potential upside, that have more potential narratives versus these things that just work. Which like Aave just works, right? Like it's great, you know. And there's tons of money locked up in there. But like, are you buying the token? I'd probably not. You're probably buying, you know, Eigenlayer or something when it when it launches, right? Like that's likely where you're going to see a lot of the flow go. Yeah, um, <laughs> you got you guys asked me this last podcast. <laughs> I already gave my answer to it. It's still the same answer. I, I think it's Polygon. I think I think Polygon is the most overrated. L1, L2, mishmash, hybrid, whatever you want to call it. I feel like it's overrated compared to everything else. Um, I think it I honestly have I think it's based in reason, like why I think that. So their their run up in early 2021, their whole thesis was their aligned, their Ethereum alignment. And that's like where that kind of originated. Like we're aligned with Ethereum, we're focused on scaling Ethereum. Um, and they kept saying they were L2, but they we weren't an L2. Like there was their whole thesis was like we're an L2. Um, but they weren't in L2 yet. They were still in L1, like their own proof of stake chain. Um, and now that they have like managed to 100x their market cap, which they did really well through narratives, um, they did a lot of partnerships that didn't really turn out to be anything. They gave a lot of people like these Web2 companies money um, to set up those partnerships. They didn't really pan out um, all that well as far as what I can tell with them. And then they acquired a lot of roll-up teams to start building out that. But they have a ton of competition now from other ZK roll-up teams like ZK Sync, Scroll, Starknet. Um, there's a few other ones I'm, I'm missing too. So they have a ton of competition there. And then they're also working on Polygon Avail. They have competition with like Eigenlayer, Celestia, like Nier, those teams. They have competition there. Um, and then like as an L1, they can't compete with Solana. The experience there on chain is not great. Um and like they also tried to do supernets, which was like the, the AVAX came out with subnets, and then Polygon was like, "No, we have supernets." And I haven't heard of any any activity on those supernets. I'm pretty sure they've pivoted that again to something else, which is like their zk CDK now. Um, 
Yeah, they're like they're they're like in my head, they're the team that hops from narrative, narrative to narrative, narrative, and they do it well enough that they like trick people into blogging. They're buying their token, <laughs> but I think they're just a worse, worse version of basically everything else, from my from my opinion. So I don't strong I don't like plus one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's funny because Sandy will tweet like, "Oh, the the American marketers are are, are so good. I didn't know how, how to market on this part of the world and stuff." And it's like, "Come on, man, come on, dude." Um, they well, they so. shield it. They shield the Starbucks partnership like super super hard. They like ten users on it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> <Bro>, no, <laughs> no, no shot, bro. No shot. They're the greatest marketers in crypto. It's crazy. Yeah, we we got to have Sandeep on here so him and Merck can have a little face off. Um, I was just, I was looking through Twitter and looking for all the questions that people had, and there was one that just kept coming up and coming up, coming up. So before we actually sign off, I got to ask you. We we were talking about meme coins, but we didn't mention Whiff once so are you still wearing a hat in 2024 or no i'm still wearing the hat i'm still wearing the hat i think whip is my favorite meme bro i i like it's been picked up so fast i've never seen a meme get picked up so fast by traditional media like i don't know what that podcast is it the all in podcast not the all in podcast odd lots the odd lots podcast um all like the trade i think her name's tracy alloway and the joe weisenthal that guy um, so they started tweeting about with, and then it made it to Bloomberg and then Bloomberg market started tweeting about with, and it's popped up on like stock, stock twits. Um, and it got listed, I think by crypto.com the other day. Um, but it's literally just a dog with a hat. Like it's, it's the most memeable thing <laughs> that I've seen come, come out of the meme coins on soul. Um, and the reason I ended up like buying more of it is because I was asking, like asking people like my friends in real life, like which meme coin should I buy? Um, and I go through all the memes on Solana, what it's like the Pepe fork, like, uh, whatever, Bonk, like, and then dog with hat and all of them pick that one as the meme to buy. <laughs> it's like a really, really popular meme just on the internet. Um, so like, I think if it can get listed on a few other centralized exchanges, then it's like going to be easier for people to buy. Um, and if Solana goes up the same way that Bonk did well, it's like, what memes am I going to buy on Solana? I think it's the most popular one right now. It's honestly doing more volume than Bonk is right now, like daily, which is pretty crazy. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I had it still going. Joe, what about you? Uh, <clears throat> Well, we don't own any whiff in the fund. Um, I, I will admit that. Got a buy. We we have a lot of bonds, but uh, yeah, we're we're kind of like over capacity on our meme coin uh, allocation. Um, but you you know you know what I like about what what Ansem just said is like, and this is one of the other reasons why I'm actually you know I think still bullish on on Bonk's price action is the litmus test that he just did with the with his normie friends right like there there's real alpha in that there's real value in doing that type of stuff and so for example like you know we had some friends over at my house over the holidays and like my my wife was chatting with them about like oh have you guys heard about a bonk and they're like no what's bonk and they're like she starts talking about it and etc and and they're like where do i get it and this is before the coinbase listing and they're, and she's like, oh, I, I don't know, <laughs> right? And it's like, oh, well, yeah. now you can get it on Coinbase, right? right. You, start, yeah. you start to, you know, if, if retail starts to become familiar with Bonk, Whiff, et cetera, and has access to it, I mean, these things, you, you, you guys have seen what happens with Dogecoin and Shiba Inu, et cetera. Like, 
it's really hard to put a price target on something like this because when the viral buying nature of retail gets a hold of something, you just have to hold on, right? Because you don't know where it's going to end up. Yeah, yeah. I, said, I said earlier this year, I was like, meme coins are the equivalent of if you could see something going viral on TikTok and bet on it and bet on it going more viral. I think that's like the easiest comparison to make. Like I see stuff go viral on TikTok all the time. It goes viral off like multi-millions of impressions. It's the only thing trending for the entire week. But you can't make any money off of it. Like you can, you if like, oh, I think that's going to go viral. But I can't bet on that going up. Meme coins are like, I think that's going to get more viral. <laughs> I'm betting that more people are going to buy into that. Um, that's how I think about it. People watch TikTok for the dopamine and the entertainment, and in crypto, you do the same thing, but you can actually bet on it going up. So pretty exactly. pretty good little thing to have. But uh, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. This is a lot of fun. Uh, definitely going to have to have you on in 2024 again to see how this all worked out, but this was a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, thanks cool. for having us. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. All right, I've got a little ending note here. First, thank you so much for listening to the full episode. If you really liked it, hit subscribe. But secondly, make sure you sign up for DAS. This is BlockWorks' biggest institutional conference happening in London in March. I've included a link in the show notes and also a discount code. Get 20% off. Make sure to use Lightspeed20 when you sign up. All right, I'll see you there. And I'll see you next time on Lightspeed.